For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us here as we start a brand new week. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. On social media, on Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. Also on email... By email, I am at Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Glad to have you with me as always today. All right, on Thursday on this program, we're going to be joined by Congresswoman Nancy Mace, who was one of the eight Republicans who led the ouster of Speaker McCarthy. She is always trending on Twitter because she can be a bit controversial, but she's going to be here later this week, and we're going to tackle a lot of really important stuff with her. Next week, we're going to be joined by Senator Ted Cruz and a former Black Lives Matter leader who's going to be here to spill the tea on that Marxist organization. He has seen the light. He helped to launch the organization, full-blown communist. He has now seen the light, and he's going to tell us the truth about that organization, what they have done, what they continue to do. So you're not going to want to miss that. Later today, we're going to speak with another America First warrior. She is absolutely incredible. Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna who is just an absolute firebrand. She just had a baby, and she's the one who led the charge against Adam Schiff earlier this year. Freshman congresswoman, nine months pregnant, the only one willing to stand up and go after Adam Schiff. She also stands up and fights for everything that we care about in terms of America first. She's a total rock star. She's going to join us here momentarily. Also, yesterday, I had my latest column published in Newsweek. It's called, The Republican Primary is Over, It's Trump. It's a really important piece, if I do say so myself, chock-a-block with all kinds of polls and other information that tells you this race is over. It's been over for a really long time, but I make this serious case about now is the moment for all of these other GOP candidates to stop and their campaigns and get behind Donald J. Trump. So please check it out. I've posted it on Twitter and my Instagram account, so you can read it in both locations, or at newsweek.com. You can find it on their website, too. You are going to love it, I promise. Okay, today, first up, the Monica Memo. A communist five-alarm fire. If you ever wondered what a communist five-alarm fire looks like, well, you're seeing it right now. You can smell the communist panic. 
Or at the very least, you can smell that their plan is now being executed. Maybe that's the more realistic description of what's going on here. And of course, by communists, I mean Democrats. They're one and the same. The Democrat communists are running around with their hair on fire, or they want you to believe their hair is on fire over the corrupt, illegitimate shell of a man that they installed, not elected, installed as president by rigging all of 2020, from a virus to an economic shutdown to mobilizing communist front groups like Antifa and Black Lives Matter, to rigging the election, to January 6th Fedsurrection. They rigged the entire year, not just the election. They rigged the entire year to stop Trump. And now they're rigging 2024 right in front of our eyes by using lawfare against Trump to run him out of the picture next year. By the way, the judge in the bogus New York case, which is going on now, his name is Arthur Engeron. He is right out of central casting for New York communists. Pink shirt, purple tie, crazy white hair, yellow teeth, haggard face, crazy eyes, He looks exactly as you would expect a New York communist judge to look. He's a full-blown Marxist who said before the trial that Trump is guilty of fraud. He actually said this before the trial. (laughs) Nothing in this country is supposed to be predetermined, right? Innocent until proven guilty in a civil trial. Same thing. You got to prove your case. Well, not in Judge Engeron's court, which is a total kangaroo court. So Trump went on the stand yesterday, and the judge was yelling at him. Imagine this pipsqueak minor judge yelling at a former president of the United States. This is worse than a banana republic, guys. I've told you this for a long time. People are screaming, this is a banana republic. No, it's worse. Because in banana republics, you don't have a long 200-plus year history of the Constitution, Bill of Rights, due process, rule of law. So, of course, a banana republic would easily slide into this kind of thing. But a country with a long history, entrenched institutions, entrenched case law, entrenched due process... You would think that this kind of thing would be impossible. And for a long time, it was impossible until now. Now that the communists are in complete control. And the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, who brought this case, is sitting there smirking and grinning like a Cheshire cat at Donald Trump instead of doing her actual job, which is prosecuting real criminals, destroying New York City and New York State. Crime is completely out of control there, guys. People are afraid to walk down the street, get on the subway. She's the one supposed to be tracking down the actual criminals and prosecuting them. And instead, she's spending all of her time glaring at Donald Trump over this bogus case. Because after all, that's what she ran on. I'm going to get Trump. You see how deeply corrupt this is? And how all of these players are absolutely abusing their power in the most 
disgusting, corrupt ways. So yesterday in court, you know, Trump pushed back on this maniac to his face, which the judge didn't like, but you know what? So what? So what? This judge has already predetermined the outcome. He's already said on the record, Trump is guilty of fraud. So he's already made up his mind. There is no jury. This yellow-toothed lunatic is sitting in judgment of Donald Trump. So you know what? If Trump wants to push back in his face, so what? This judge deserves no respect, nor does his court. This court isn't a court of law. It's a star chamber. It's a dangerous Stalinist show trial. So Trump gave him and it exactly the amount of respect they deserve, which is zero. Trump on the stand went through a detailed analysis of going through all of the records, how he paid all of these loans back on time, in full. He has all of the receipts, the documentation. At one point, Trump pulled out a piece of paper, and he said to the judge, this this piece of information is going to clear my name and end this whole charade. May I read it? And the judge, of course, said no. Because he is not at all interested in the facts or the truth. He's only interested, like Letitia James, in, quote, getting Trump. Because they're all mad, mad with power. And abusing their power. So after all of this, Trump then reamed the judge as a fraud. And this whole farce as a fraud when he came out after court. And he's going to continue to do that in all of these bogus cases. He's going to continue to show them for the clown shows that they are. And good for him. Everybody, everybody, especially those on the left who brought these bogus cases, everybody knows that they are BS. Everybody knows that. So Trump sitting there, you know, this yellow-toothed goon sitting in judgment of a former president? No, I don't think so. Now, all of this lawfare is geared towards stopping Trump because he is an existential threat to the entire corrupt system. And now, poll after poll shows Trump leading Biden substantially for president and across most issues, including the issues that are most important for voters. This is another huge reason that they have to try to destroy Trump and possibly trash Biden. We're going to get to that in a second. Two big heavyweight polls were released over the weekend, the New York Times and CBS. Not exactly Fox News, not exactly the Monica Crowley podcast, okay? Not exactly Rasmussen. Two big heavyweight polls were released over the weekend, the New York Times And CBS, not exactly right-wing, not exactly Trump lovers, not exactly America first. These polls are absolute blockbusters. Now, maybe these polls were set up this way to move Biden off stage. We'll get to that in a second. But let's talk about what they actually published in these polls. Let's start first with the New York Times Siena College poll. Uh, taken just over the last couple of days, and they published this yesterday. 
an analysis of what they found, and they went into five battleground states, Georgia, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Michigan. And they honed in on those battleground states. An analysis shows based on the numbers, and we're going to get to them, but based on these numbers, if the election were held today, Donald Trump would win at least 300 electoral votes. An absolute electoral college landslide. You know, like he did last time. 2020? Yeah. So now they got to figure out how to rig because now he's even more popular than he was three years ago. They're going to have to figure out a way to overcome his massive lead if, in fact, these numbers are real. Okay? And again, with all of these polls, take it all with a grain of salt because these polls coming back to back, New York Times and CBS, we're going to get to all of this. Um, it could very well be a setup. To number one, get Democrats focused on this. Number two, move Biden out. We're going to talk about that. And uh, three, to kind of send up the flare that you better start now in the left on the Democrat side to begin rigging this thing because you're going to have to work harder to rig it than you did three years ago. All right, this New York Times poll, listen to this. Voters trust Trump. More than they do Biden when it comes to immigration, the economy, and foreign policy in those five battleground states that they polled by a margin of between four and ten percentage points. This is among registered voters. Why is that important? Registered voters are like everybody with their name on a voting roll, not necessarily those who are most likely to vote. As we get closer to election day, they start honing it down to likely voters to get a more accurate sample. But registered voters, when you see these kinds of polls, they generally favor the Democrats because there are more Democrats registered in this country than there are Republicans. So when you see a poll that's registered voters, it's generally like skewed way off and skewed to the Democrats. So because this is a registered voters poll, the actual numbers are probably much higher for Donald Trump. Listen to these numbers from this New York Times poll. Okay, so Arizona, Trump 49, Biden 44. Georgia, Trump 49, Biden 43. Michigan, Trump 48, Biden 43. Pennsylvania, Trump 48, Biden 44. Nevada, Trump 52, Biden 41. Wow. The only state that they polled in this group uh, where Biden leads is Wisconsin, and he leads by two points, 47 to 45. So now based on this New York Times-Siena poll, a majority of voters said that Biden's policies have hurt them personally. So again, this is not pie in the sky, theoretical, like, oh, has the country been hurt by Biden? No, this is, have you personally been hurt by Biden's policies? A majority of voters with a resounding yes. At the same time, they acknowledged that Trump's policies were positive for them. 
This reveals that Biden is losing support with the multi-generational and multi-racial voters that got him elected in the first time under the last sham election. Listen to this. Voters under 30 favor Biden only by a single percentage point as his lead among registered Hispanic voters is now down to single digits. Women are the only group who still favor Biden. That is beyond me, not this woman. (laughs) And I'm sure the women listening to this podcast, not you either. But men prefer Trump by twice as large a margin. And listen to this. When it comes to black voters, 22% support Donald Trump in these swing states. 22%. Guys, that is the death knell for Biden and the Democrats. If any Republican running for president is scoring 22% of the black vote, oh, it is lights out for the Democrats. They cannot overcome that. It seems like a small percent. Oh, 22%, that's it. Guys, that is huge, huge. Republicans usually get like 8% of the black vote, maybe 10. For Trump to be scoring 22%, Wow, that is a political earthquake. Absolutely historic, if that number holds. And over the last couple of months, we've seen the trend. We've seen very similar numbers among black voters. And I'm telling you, a key element of this is the legal persecutions, not prosecutions, persecutions of Donald Trump. There are so many black voters who look at what is going on with Trump and say, hey, man, he is getting railroaded by the criminal justice system the way we do. We can relate to this. We have an affinity for him on this. I'm telling you, this stuff is backfiring big time, which is probably one of the reasons why Eric Holder who's probably still the attorney general, telling Merrick Garland and Lisa Monaco over at DOJ exactly what to do, he and Obama. But the other day, Eric Holder came out and said, "Mm, I'd be a little bit more careful about prosecuting this guy. Yeah, because they're seeing these numbers, not just across Democrats, but in particular the black vote. They cannot survive as a party getting reelected, holding on to not just the presidency, but the Senate, Congress, you know, their seats. They cannot survive. This is an apocalyptic number for them among black voters. So now you get Eric Holder going, oh, I'm not so sure. We Well, it's a little late because there are four indictments here. So now they got to let it run its course. There is a huge backlash going on, guys. Huge Also, according to the New York Times, the more diverse a swing state is, the more Trump leads Biden. Biden leads Trump in the whitest of the six states, Wisconsin. Isn't that interesting? When it comes to the subject of age, 71% of voters said Biden is too old to be president, while only 19% said Trump was too old. Wow. Wow, completely upside down on the age issue. 
the largest poll gap of all of the issues that they polled was, drumroll please, the economy. Not a surprise. A whopping 59%, almost 60%, said they trusted Trump over Biden on the economy. The preference for Trump on economic matters, the New York Times says, spanned the electorate among both men and women, those with college degrees and those without them. Every age range as well and every income level. Wow. So Donald Trump is running the board on the economy. Meanwhile, Biden's campaign has spent millions of dollars touting his economic record, you know, singing the praises of Bidenomics as the American dream. And Biden is out there, you know, bragging about the economy. It's the best it's ever been under him. Um, no, no, obviously not. And voters are not buying the BS that Biden is selling. Not because they just can't afford basic groceries, but because people aren't blind and they're waking up. 60% of voters favored Trump in a landslide when it comes to the economy. And for voters under the age of 30 who voted for Biden in 2020, 28% of them said they'd trust Trump more regarding the economy because of inflation and high interest rates. They can't save, they can't buy a house, they can't begin the American dream. So all of this from the New York Times. Now a separate bombshell poll also came out over the weekend, this one from CBS News. CBS News has Donald Trump leading Joe Biden for president by three points, 51 to 48%. The poll also found that voters feel that a Trump victory would put more money in their pockets and end the wars. Oh, turns out voters really love peace and prosperity, right? These are the two biggest issues uh, for these voters. According to the CBS poll, 43% of voters believe that Trump would decrease the chances of the U.S. being in a war and increase the chances of bringing peace and stability to the world you know, like he did the first time around, uh, compared to 23% of voters who feel that way about Biden. 29% of voters feel that Biden increased our chances of the U.S. being in a war. Well, we got hot wars breaking out all over the place, so that's not a surprise, as opposed to only 39% feeling that way about Trump. 47% of voters feel Trump would increase the chances of peace as opposed to only 31% who feel that Biden would. Here is the kicker in the CBS poll, guys. Ready? 73% of voters say things are going badly in America, which is up 8% from January of this year. So you have nearly three-quarters of the American people saying things in America suck under Joe Biden. And it's because their direct lives have been impacted negatively by Joe Biden and his policies. Now, you can imagine that these two back-to-back polls have created this absolute panic. Now, again, we don't know whether the panic is real. You know, I, I have no doubt that this data is real in these polls. But the question is, 
you know, have the polls been weighted to create a sense among Democrats that it's time for Biden to go, that they can't go to war next year with this corrupt, decrepit fool of a man, that this raging, raging communist puppet, they can't go to war with him. So therefore, let's release all of this negative data and create political pressure on Biden to step aside. They know that voters are taking a look at the absolute hellscape that Biden has created over the last three years. Uh, They know that voters see the hell that we're all going through from the economy, inflation, gas prices, the border, illegal immigration, fentanyl deaths, crime, war in Ukraine, war in Israel, the border, like everything, right? Everything has gone terribly wrong under Joe Biden, and the people are living this every day. Biden's age, also a huge factor here. And the Trump uh, persecutions, as I said, are creating this tremendous backlash for Democrats. So the data is real. And the question is, you know, to what end are they releasing this data now? The left always has an objective, they always have a reason, and they're always incredibly disciplined in executing. So these new polls clearly shocked, you know, many Biden supporters who are not in on what they have planned. It clearly shocked them. And Biden's puppet masters are clearly at work. It clearly shocked them. And I think if you take a step back, you will see that Biden's puppet masters, including the ultimate puppet master, the communist who is actually running the country, Barack Obama, is now, he's, he's pulled the trigger on the plan. He's pulled the trigger on the plan. Obama has seen these poll numbers and realizes the useful idiot Biden has outlived his usefulness. In fact, he was only geared for one term. That's all they needed him for. So this could all be a contrivance. You know, they they could be framing it with these polls like, well, time to bounce him. But all of this could have been planned back in 2020. Install Joe Biden, keep him there for four years, get him out, and then we'll install who we really want. So Obama over the weekend then sent the marching orders. He has now pulled the trigger. And the marching orders are call for Joe Biden to go. Right on cue, uh, Obama's right-hand guy, David Axelrod. And then there's Bill Kristol and the ABC News Sunday morning panel and other key Democrats over the weekend and yesterday and today They're all gently calling for Biden to step aside. Oh, he's been such a great public servant, such a good president. uh, But now, as a matter of personal sacrifice and sacrifice for the country, he should really consider stepping aside. That isn't a coincidence. This is coordination. The left is super organized. They don't do coincidence. Everything has been planned, and it's now being executed. Those calls for Biden to go are going to expand and accelerate over the coming days and weeks. Watch. 
They're not, Obama is not going to allow David Axelrod to be out there swinging alone. They enlisted Bill Crystal too, who also took to Twitter with this message, all on the same day. This is all coordinated. So watch, you're going to see escalating calls for Biden to go. Why? Because they want him gone. And so it will be done. The left's power brokers have already begun to move into phase two, which is replacing him. But they also have a huge Kamala Harris problem. She's a complete twit in way over her head. She is an idiot, but she is a woman of color. Black women are the Democrats' core constituency, more so than anybody else. That is their main demographic. Black women vote Democrat in higher numbers and with more passion than any other group. So the Democrats cannot alienate them by ditching Kamala, but she is the most unpopular vice president in recent American history. So they have to figure out a way to get rid of not one, but two, the president and the vice president. What do they do? They're in a box. The only way out of the box for the Democrats is to go with Michelle, Michelle Obama. We have been covering this nonstop on this show. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong about it. But Michelle is the only potential candidate who squares that circle for them with black women. There's all of this talk about Gavin Newsom, Gretchen Whitmer, uh, Pritzker out of Illinois, and I don't know, maybe some others, but they're all ridiculous. Only Michelle has the status, this sort of um, above-it-all kind of status to go toe-to-toe with Donald Trump and keep the Democrat coalition together. And one other thing, take it next level re-energize the Democrats, given how much they are rejecting Biden and how depressed they all are. Watch this space. Our friend Joel Gilbert was the first one to put out the possibility that Michelle could be the nominee. He did it in a documentary called Michelle Obama 2024. Go check it out. I then put it out there at CPAC in 2022 and the whole room gasped. When I said it, even at this late date, people are not focused on it, guys. They moved the DNC convention to Chicago next year. They moved the first Democrat primary to South Carolina for the minority voters. The Obamas just did a major uh, reunion in Chicago, bringing the whole band back together. They're not doing this for their health. Again, everything on the left and with the Democrats is coordinated. It is organized years in advance. And we're always fighting the last war while the Democrats are thinking about 2030. All of these pieces are falling into place. Again, I hope I am wrong. But it's looking increasingly possible. I don't know about probable but possible that they could be reaching for Michelle. More and more people are starting to talk about this. We will see the clock is ticking here. So, you know, I I don't know how it's going to pan out. 
Um, the clock is winding down. Axelrod said something to that effect, like, hey, man, you know, you got a brief moment here to figure it out, Joe Biden. We want to gently encourage you, like you would gently encourage your grandpa to give up the keys to the car when he can no longer drive. That's what they're doing with Biden. So we'll see. Uh, meanwhile, before we hit our quick break, um, Remember the Nashville shooter? The Nashville shooter was a trans uh, person who, uh, it was a girl named Audrey Elizabeth Hale, who identified as a male, and she went to school a couple of months ago, shot up the Covenant School, and she shot a bunch of people, including a couple of nine-year-old children and some adults. Uh, She was clearly filled with rage and hate for white people. How do we know this? Because, well, we just got uh, the manifesto. The three-letter agencies, the FBI, the DOJ, God knows who else, um, who are tasked to investigate these kinds of crimes, especially big gun crimes like this, well, they buried the manifesto for all of these months. Somebody in law enforcement leaked it to Stephen Crowder, Daily Wire picked it up and verified it. It is, in fact, true and confirmed. And these leaked documents are really disturbing and outrageous. Hale wrote that she wanted to kill all of the, quote, little white crackers who attended the school with their, quote, white privilege. She wrote the following, quote, want to kill all you little crackers, She wrote, I hope I have a high death count. Also, I'm ready. I hope my victims aren't. I'm ready to die. Elon Musk uh, responded to the manifesto leak uh, by saying on Twitter or X, quote, clearly mentally ill, but also clearly brainwashed into being a mass murderer by the system. The FBI did not label this a hate crime, even though it's clear that these children were targeted based on their race. Imagine if it were the other way around. This is where we are in this country. This is the kind of disgusting, dangerous chaos that Joe Biden and the communists have wrought all on purpose. And then they wonder why they're sucking salt in these polls. This, this is one of the many reasons why the corruption and weaponization of government, whether it's against Donald Trump, whether it's against white school children or, or, or anybody in this country that's a law-abiding citizen, you are a target if you engage in wrong think, if you vote the wrong way, we will come and get you. By the way, over the last couple of days, I went to the premiere of Dinesh D'Souza's new film called Police State. We had him on the show a couple of weeks ago to talk about it. I was at the premiere at Mar-a-Lago. It is so well done. It is a brilliant, terrifying, and necessary film. Please go see it. Again, the website is policestatefilm.net. You can stream it there. It's also up on Rumble. Go check it out. 
All right, let's hit this quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna, who's a complete rock star, about what's going on in Capitol Hill, her personal story, which is amazing, and what we can expect from the new Speaker and the new Congress. Sit tight. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, welcome back. You know, it's always great to talk with Republican members of Congress and to find out what's really going on on Capitol Hill. Today, I am particularly happy to welcome a true American patriot, a fierce warrior for this country. She is absolutely incredible. Her name is Anna Paulina Luna, and she is the first Mexican-American woman elected to represent Florida's 13th congressional district. She was elected just last year in 2022. Anna is an Air Force veteran. She is the author, along with her husband, who is also a military veteran, of the brand new children's book, called The Legend of Naranja. She is a social media superstar. You can follow her on Twitter at Real Anna Paulina. And she is one of the fiercest fighters we have for America First. She joins us now, and I'm so happy to have you here, Congresswoman. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Oh, well, it's a delight to have you. And as I said before we came to air, I am such an admirer of yours. And I should also mention that while you're doing all of those things, and I I ate up like the first five minutes of this conversation with your resume because it's so extensive at such a young age. (laughs) But I also want to mention that you were doing all of this while being a brand new mother to a son. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I actually, um, I hid it for a little bit for the first few months that I was in Washington, really until I was about seven months pregnant. So we were able to keep uh, George, one of the best kept secrets in Washington, but very happy to have him. And he's definitely a hit on the hill. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he is absolutely beautiful like you and your husband. So congratulations. Um, Before we get into what is going on on Capitol Hill, and I also want to talk about your new children's book. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You were born in California, but you are a first generation Mexican American. Is that right? Correct. And actually, you know, my story, when you think of people that are in politics, it's, you know, usually people from uh, very affluent faculty schools and that I'm based out of that, right? Um, I actually grew up within the welfare system. Young single mom had family members really that struggled with addiction, went to over six high schools. And then by the time I graduated, I wanted to go to college, but, you know, like many Americans couldn't afford it. So I enlisted in the military and I'm positive that that's really, you know, where my life took a turn for the better. So I got the foundation and structure that I needed. I paid my way through college, ended up doing um, an enlistment or active duty and then enlistment at the guard and got an honorable discharge and actually got into a medical school program. And after I got into that medical school program, I 
was offered during my gap year while studying for the MCAT a position at Turning Point USA. And that's kind of the choice. Was I going to go to medical school or pursue politics? And I chose politics. And here I am. I would have graduated this year uh, from medical school. And instead of graduating, I made it to Congress. Well, I'll tell you, I have no doubt that you would have been an outstanding medical doctor, but we are really grateful to have you in the halls of Congress uh, serving your country and fighting for all of us. (laughs) How did you, Anna, how did you develop such a strong love of America to the point where you have devoted your life to serving this country in the military and now in politics? You know, really, I joined the military at 19 years old and I went from, you know, living in basically Los Angeles inner city kid, you know, to seeing what this country had to offer. And only in America can someone grow up the way that I have and essentially find themselves in the halls of Congress. And so I obviously love this country and I want to continue to protect it. And so here I am. Well, we are so grateful that you're there. We're going to talk about your work on the Hill. Um, You mentioned you were in the military, Air Force veteran. And I should also mention that your adorable husband, uh, Andrew Gimberski, he is also a military veteran, and he earned the Purple Heart for for valor during his service in Afghanistan. So the two of you are really something. So let me ask you, you you have this great life, you know, you're serving in the military, thinking about becoming a doctor. And then all of a sudden last year rolls around and you decide to run for Congress. Now you mentioned your work at Turning Point. We love Charlie Kirk. We love everything they do. But when you run for public office, that is next level because you are putting yourself out there in front of the public and really exposing yourself and your family. Why in the end did you decide to do that? Well, so yeah, I actually had my first run in 2020 and I was unsuccessful. And then I realized, you know, when in doubt, try, try again. And I had a couple of members from Washington reach out and say, you know, you got really close last time. You really should consider putting your hat in again. And so I ran and I won. But, you know, you are right. And just I think the way is today, especially being a young woman, you know, there's just if they can't find something on you, they'll just make it up. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of what happened to me. And then I wasn't in office for more than two months when The Washington Post tried to come up with this awful smear piece against me. First, they said I was basically, you know, in so many words, the white face or the Hispanic face of white supremacy, basically with the same thing that they did to Ben Carson and Tim Scott. But, you know, being a woman, being a minority, they don't like that. I don't, you know, use that to define me. I'm, I'm a conservative first and foremost, and I'm, I'm an American. But, you know, because I check all those boxes, they don't, you know, they don't want someone like me to be successful, right? So they try to just sabotage character assassination. And so um, shortly thereafter, the Washington Post tried to say that basically I had fabricated my background. They even interviewed a mom and were intentionally leaving facts out of their story to kind of create this narrative about myself. But lucky for us, we had people that came forward and actually sent us screenshots of them telling the reporter the correct information and then the reporter just leaving that information out. And this happened. Uh, I'm actually kind of glad I did. Time Magazine investigated, and recently I was published as one of the top 100 most influential people in the world. So <laughs> that was a silver lining. I saw that. 
I saw that you made the time next 100 or 100 next list, I think, um, with a beautiful photograph. And so in the end, of course, you're vindicated. But yeah, I mean, you are an existential threat to the left because you're a woman, you're a Latina, you're not supposed to be a Republican, never mind America first, Anna. That's like, that's on a whole other level. So you, you are a natural disruptor. And, uh, you know, I guess you saw what was happening to our government and to America and you just decided, you know what, I cannot, even at turning point, I I have to get more involved in bringing this country back, right? Exactly. And I think that, you know, at turning point, I was able to kind of refine my ability to do grassroots activism and then, you know, transferring over into Congress and using those skills has been really something that you can't, you know, you can't buy. You have to just kind of know how to do it. And it's been very, very effective. Well, you have been extraordinary. And before we get into your first, your first move on Capitol Hill, or one of them anyway, but it was extraordinary on Adam Schiff. I have to ask you, you know, and I ask this of everybody who gets elected, especially when they're brand new on Capitol Hill. Um, a lot of people are shocked by the depth of corruption, about how things work, about the the backslapping and the horse trading and and just sort of the rot <laughs> that goes on up there. What surprised you the most about politics, especially at the level you're at? The pressure campaigns. I think that that was obviously in uh, January. I was part of the speaker, the initial speaker fight. And, you know, 20 of us not just voting blindly for someone to lead our party was unheard of for decades, you know. And so that obviously was interesting to kind of go through. But, you know, I I also remember in my in both my campaigns, uh, the first and second time, I was never really accepted by the establishment. In fact, I'm a grassroots candidate. Um, my average donation, you know, was like $13. And so for me, I wasn't coming up to, you know, K street to fundraise with the PACs. And I think that that's part of the problem that exists in politics. So I've really kind of had the ability to be my own thought leader up here. And that's kind of why you're seeing, um, my messaging and also my ability to kind of get certain things done in an unconventional fashion. Um, and I think really set a new precedence for, for the Republican party. And you're doing it. And this is another reason why they hate you, (laughs) because you are a disruptor (laughs) and including members of your own party, you know, who are really part of the uni party and not, you know, not the kind of America first leaders like you are. Do you lean on your faith and your family to get through the worst of it? Because politics is such a dirty business. Yeah, yeah, I do. And in fact, you know, I try to kind of still have fun and, and remember that at the end of the day, this job is incredibly important, but I can't forget about my family and my faith in the process. Okay, so let's talk about your first noteworthy achievement when you got to Congress, which was absolutely incredible. You were ranged and then got past a censure of that pathological liar, your colleague, I'm sad to say, Congressman Adam Schiff. Can you tell us how that all came about? Oh, yeah. So I was um, researching, you know, my my toolkit, the House rules, and essentially came across the ability to hold Adam Schiff accountable via censuring. And so I'm really big on accountability. And that was right after the report had come out that basically stated that, you know, Schiff was lying and that the investigation was complete. Obviously, the Russia collusion hoax was literally just that. 
And so I filed the censure and I'm glad I did because my colleagues agreed that he should be held accountable. We had the evidence and he was censured and that goes down in history. Well, and you did all of this while very, very pregnant, which is even more amazing. So we (laughs) all owe you a debt of gratitude for doing what no one else in Congress was prepared to do. Thank you for that. Um, Can you tell us, Congresswoman, what is next on the legislative agenda now that there is a new speaker, Mike Johnson? What do you think of him, by the way? Oh, he's he's great. We're working on those single subject bills that have been so important and that Congress has not done. And so the deficit is something that we want to not contribute to. So we're working on that. But I also have something else that um, I will be announcing soon. So you guys will have to stay tuned for that one. Ooh, that sounds very exciting. You know how to, to deliver like a real cliffhanger there. So we look forward to hearing about that. Um, where yep. are you guys? <laughs> where are you guys on uh, funding the government? You mentioned the single spending bills, um, which is something that the previous speaker, Kevin McCarthy, had agreed to do. I think you've passed four or five uh, so far, but you know they go Six. to die in the Senate. I, I don't know what is going to happen, but the deadline is about three weeks away, November 17th. Where are we on all of this, and what do you expect to happen? We've done six so far, so we have another full week. We're actually being called back into session, so hopefully we'll get them done. But you know we've done our job, so it's time that Senate does theirs, and I think that we have um, a, a speaker that is a fiscal conservative. And so we'll have to sit back and see kind of what the Senate comes back at us with and then proceed accordingly. Well, it's going to be very interesting to watch all of this unfold, whether we have a government shutdown, a partial shutdown, whatever the case might be, uh, because there's a lot of resistance on the Senate side, as you know. Um, the House, your chamber, just passed this Israel aid package for $14.3 billion dollars which Biden and the Democrats opposed because, number one, it's actually paid for with new money, that new money for the IRS, and two, because it's not attached to Ukraine aid. So what do you expect to happen there, and where are you on additional aid for Ukraine? Yeah, um, I've been very outspokenly against Ukraine funding, mainly because I actually went on a congressional delegation to Poland And I met with a speaker of the Ukrainian parliament and they told me that basically they wanted to privatize the equipment and the military that um, aid that we are sending them and essentially have a mercenary army similar to the Wagner group that Russia has. And as a result of that, I mean, I just talk about a bad idea, obviously contributing to massive problems in Eastern Europe if we were even going to send them aid. And so I am against that. But, you know, going back to kind of my perspective, a lot of these members might be weighing in on some of these very uh, important international arguments without even fully knowing the facts and knowing really what these governments are anticipating on doing with the aid that we're sending them. So I've been uh, very vocal with the speaker that I won't support any tied funding to Ukraine, even if it's with border security, because, again, going back to what we negotiated in January, these should be single subject bills and it should be separate. Oh, good for you. Uh, we're so heartened to hear that. And and I've known your position on Ukraine and I appreciate that, but I wanted the audience to hear that as well. Thank you, because we have sent north of probably $150 billion there with no oversight, no accountability. Nobody knows where this money is going. And it's the American taxpayer who is funding this thing. And in fact, a top aide to Zelensky uh, just said, and Time Magazine did this investigation, that people over there are stealing hand over fist 
stealing, I think the quote was like, there's no tomorrow. So thank you for standing up in Congress and protecting the American taxpayer, especially on this issue. We're really grateful for that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, you know, going back to kind of what's been happening, you know, we have to ensure this is the same argument right now happening with up in Washington with some of my colleagues, you know, people are saying, well, we should be sending humanitarian aid um, to the Palestinian authorities. And it's like, you can't do that. Because right now there's no accountability to the which we're seeing it has been in the past. And so, you can't find two sides of a war. We're not going to do it. And so these are in increasingly bigger discussions that we need to be having. And, and I'm all about putting the truth out there. Well, yes. And you're fearless about doing that. We so appreciate you. Um, okay. Let's, in our final moments with you, let's turn to your new children's book, which you wrote with your husband, Andy Gimberski, and it's called The Legend of Naranja. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, of course. So um, really, it started that we wanted to uh, have a children's book that we could share with our son and that also too would cover conservative politicians and not just the leftist ones that we see in Barnes and Nobles and across the country. And so I had this sketch idea of Naranja being President Trump and we have a banana in there. I'll let you guess who the banana is. But it's been a pretty, um, a pretty successful thing in that we wanted to share a good moral of a story with children saying that you know, there's racist sometimes doing the right thing might you might think it costs you everything, but essentially you're the real winner in the end. And you guys will have to see the book. You can actually order a signed copy at orangebandbook.com. But um, yes, we're very excited about it. It came out and it's one of the first hardcover books from Brave as well. So we were very excited to be kind of the test series for that. Well, I'm so excited to tell the audience about it because the book is really wonderful. It's beautifully illustrated with a really, really important message. It's wonderful. And it's also so Thank important. Um, well, you're welcome. I mean, you and your husband did a brilliant job. And it's so critical to counter what the left is doing with and to our kids with all of the leftist indoctrination. They have come at our kids for decades and our side has just not been paying close attention to the level of indoctrination, both culturally, politically, in all ways. So books like this go a long way to begin to counter that. It's, it's such an important thing. And I want to tell everybody in the audience, guys, you got to support what Congresswoman Luna is trying to do here by getting this book for all of the kids in your life, because it's so critical to support this kind of content to change the culture in order to change the politics, in order to change our country back to what we came of age with and the America that we know and love. Get your kids focused on the right things by getting this book, The Legend of Naranja. Where can we get it again, Congresswoman? Please tell us. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, this is something that my husband and I are really excited about. You can get a signed copy at orangemanbook.com. That's orange, like the color, manbook.com. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that. I Thank did find you. it on Amazon as well, but you have to, when you type in your name, Anna Paulina Luna, um, it doesn't necessarily come up right away. So if you type it, in, type in her name and then it'll say kids book, click on that. And that's where you can get it. But I love orangemanbook.com where you can get a signed copy. That's even better. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And yeah, we are really excited. There's illustrations actually, I worked really closely with the illustrator on. And so you'll see some Easter eggs in there. Obviously, there's a little bit of a Hispanic flavor in it. So you have to check those out when you look at the illustrations. 
Well, I love it. And uh, Thank whether you. you're Latino or not, please go get this book for all of the kids in your life, your children, grandchildren, your neighbor's kids, you know, your friend's kids, whatever, because this is how we change the country through the culture and through our children. Very important book. <laughs> Thank you so much. Congress, of course, I'm so happy to talk to you. Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna, she really is a total America first rock star. Follow her on Twitter at Real Anna Paulina. And do you have other social media you want to tell us about? Yeah, so um, I'm obviously in my personal capacity right now. But if you want to see what we're doing ever on the official side, you can head over to at Rep Luna. And then also, too, you can head over to VoteAPL.com if you want to check out what I'm doing on the campaign side. Well, fantastic. Keep going. We've got your back, sister. We are cheering you on from the sidelines and supporting everything you're doing. So God bless. Thank you. God bless. Okay, guys, thank you so much for joining me. As always, today is election day in many states around the country. I have voted in New York City for a Republican for city council. The city council is currently controlled by communists. So let's see if my one vote can put the Republican in Manhattan over the top. Go out and vote. You can't complain unless you vote. And these are local races. There's a big governor's race in Kentucky, Daniel Cameron, an amazing Republican candidate. But there are all kinds of races going on in Pennsylvania and Mississippi, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York. Go out and vote because remember, the left has long understood that real change happens at the local level. City council, like I just did, statewide offices, Supreme Courts in your states, whatever elections you are facing, please go and vote. Because you know what? The other side is they're working real hard. So we will cover the election results here on Thursday on the show. But please go do your civic duty and vote. The country is hanging by a thread and it needs you. Thank you so much for joining me. As always, I will see you right back here on Thursday. This episode of the Monica Crowley podcast was produced by Bahakel Entertainment, LLC. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.